This is Carly Town, campaign manager for the Divest from the War Machine campaign at Code Pink. And you're listening to Code Pink Radio, presented by WBAI Radio 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 Washington, D.C. If this is your first time joining us, Code Pink is a women's-led anti-war group that is organizing across the country to put an end to U.S.-funded militarism around the world. We're here to challenge imperialism, capitalism, and war, with the goal of creating a world of justice, peace, and equality. Achieving justice requires each and every one of us to join together in solidarity and demand a better world. It requires us to understand that the struggle against U.S. imperialism is also a struggle against police brutality and anti-immigrant animus. The anti-war movement is also, of course, a struggle for peace. And we can't have peace if we don't advocate for workers' rights, women's rights, environmental justice, and racial justice. If you're listening to this show, you've already taken the first step in being part of a movement for all of these struggles. And if you're with us now, you know that these past few weeks have been challenging, uh, to say the least. I'm located in Los Angeles, so what's on my mind is that nearly the entire West Coast is on fire, which reveals in no uncertain terms that the climate crisis is not a future we need to prepare for, in 50 years or 20 years or even 10 years, right? It's actually a reality that we need to address right now. And as anti-war activists, it's our responsibility to remind people that the Pentagon is the single largest institutional emitter of carbon in the world. That means that any movement to address the climate crisis must also work to defund the Pentagon and invest in a Green New Deal. Recently, our representatives had a chance to do just that, vote on historic legislation in Congress to cut the Pentagon budget by 10%. While the legislation failed, it represents an important turning point in our work to defund the Pentagon. So do you know how your representative voted? If they voted to cut the Pentagon budget by 10%, that's great. We need to thank them and ask them to formally join the newly formed Defense Spending Reduction Caucus that Representative Barbara Lee and Mark Pocan started in Congress. If they voted against a 10% cut to the Pentagon budget, we need to hold them accountable. Did you know that the representatives who voted against the 10% cut to the Pentagon budget received three times the number of campaign contributions from weapons manufacturers and those who voted for it? Obviously, that's not surprising, but you can go to www.codepink.org defundwar to learn how your representative voted on this important legislation. And most importantly, once you're there, you can take immediate action to hold them accountable. So again, that's www.codepink.org defundwar to find out more about how your representative voted 
and how you can keep them accountable. Also related to the climate crisis and US militarism, a new report out from the Cost of War Project at Brown University determined that the US post 9-11 wars have forcibly displaced at least 37 million people in and from Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, the Philippines, Libya, and Syria. This exceeds those displaced by every war since 1900, except for World War II. So that number is, is pretty shocking, I think, for a lot of people. 37 million people have been displaced in these wars. And as the climate crisis, which is fueled by Pentagon carbon emissions and U.S. wars for oil and resource extraction continues to grow, we'll have to include climate refugees displaced because their homes are no longer ha habitable. So these numbers remind us of how urgent our work to end U.S. militarism remains. Our Divest from the War Machine campaign recognizes that we can never end U.S. militarism until weapons companies continue to profit from going to war. That's why we're working to build grassroots campaigns to take on the war machine in our local communities. So you can visit codepink.org divest to learn more about how to get involved in your city, at your university, or in your community to divest from the war machine. You can also email us at divest at codepink.org. So today's show is dedicated to this very topic, which is extremely important, right? Which is how can you divest from the war machine? I'm very excited to bring on our first guest, who is Kelsey Zazanis, an organizer on Code Pink's Divest from the War Machine campaign. We'll talk to Kelsey about an exciting development in the campaign. The city of San Luis Obispo voted five to zero to divest from the war machine and prioritize a socially responsible investment policy. Then Amy Dominey of Dominey Funds joins Code Pink's Jody Evans to discuss how philanthropic and investment foundations can choose to divest from weapons and continue to demilitarize the world we live in. So I'm really excited for this upcoming show. This is Carly with Code Pink Radio presented by WBAI Radio 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 Washington DC. So I'm gonna be welcoming my first guest. Her name is Kelsey Zanis and she is a an organizer for Code Pink on our Divest from the War Machine campaign. So welcome, Kelsey, to the program. Hi, Carly. Uh, thanks for having me on the show today. Yeah, I'm really happy to have you here. Um, so, you know, before we kind of dive into all of the things we're going to talk about today, first I wanted to ask, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and some of the work that you do at Code Pink and how you started working with Code Pink? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm Kelsey. I'm 23 years old and I live in San Luis Obispo, California. Um, last year, I finished my undergrad at the local university, Cal Poly. And um, while I was in school there, I got involved with a campaign to divest the university from weapons manufacturers. And so organizing in the divestment movement is what introduced me to Code Pink. And after graduating, I began working as an organizer with Code Pink's Divest from the War Machine campaign. And um, yeah, so divesting from the war machine means removing invested assets from the weapons companies 
that profit from U.S. military interventions and uh, divestment campaigns can target cities, universities, other financial institutions, but uh, my work focuses specifically on helping student activists to facilitate divestment campaigns on their campuses. And I also help support municipal divestment campaigns as well. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for that overview, Kelsey. That was really helpful. Um, you know, it's nice to know and hear a little bit more about how you got started and really worked on this kind of campaign in college and you use that and bring that experience to Code Pink. So it's, it's really good to hear about that. So thank you. Um, so, you know, I wanted to talk with you today because you were recently part of a successful campaign in San Luis Obispo, which is where you live, um, to divest the city from weapons manufacturers. So that's really exciting. This is a really exciting win, really exciting um, step for the divestment campaign at Code Pink. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about it today. So can you tell people a little bit more about the composition of SLOW, right? Where is it located? What are the local politics like? You told us a little bit about your relationship to the local community. But what is SLOW, where is SLOW and what is it like to live there? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, so I've been living in San Luis Obispo for the, for the past uh, six years and it's a city that's located on the central coast of California. And um, politically speaking, um, while, the, while some areas in the town um, kind of like have a conservative streak, uh, the town also has a pretty large population of people who are really committed to environmentalism. And the local government, at least for the last um, couple years, um, they've been fairly vocal about climate action. So that's kind of like um, the political environment there. And um, for the last four years, we've also had a mayor, um, her name's Heidi Harmon, and she self-identifies as a democratic socialist and her platform uh, largely focused on climate change. So it sort of made sense when she expressed interest in the divest from the war machine campaign because U.S. militarism is one of the leading drivers of climate change. So it was great that she um, expressed interest in the issue. And that's kind of what sparked the local organizing around divestment. Yeah, that's, that's really great background information, Kelsey. Um, you know, I think a lot of people um, know, uh, you know, about the particular kind of uh, politics of their local government. And I think SLO is um, unique also in that um, maybe there, it's not kind of uh, progressive in the general, in the kind of general sense. Um, there are a lot of kind of conservative elements, but the, the city itself is really dedicated to um, uh, taking on climate change very seriously, right? And I think that's a really good lead into the next question, right? Which is, you know, because you knew that you were able to kind of ground the divestment campaign in slow in that, in those politics of um, making sure that we really emphasize the environmental impacts of war, as you said, right? The Pentagon is the largest polluter in the world. Um, we have a campaign where we emphasize this because of course war is not green. So based on that, can you take us through the initial steps you took to get this campaign started, right? Um, how were you able to build community support 
for your campaign, even during a pandemic, because we should note that a lot of your organizing work took place virtually. Yeah, uh, so that's a great question. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's really important to note um, that what we did was basically like take in mind the local political climate and kind of like shape the campaign accordingly. So I mentioned that Heidi Harmon, our, our mayor, initially reached out expressing interest in the Divest from the War Machine campaign. And we knew that the local government is um, pretty sympathetic on climate issues. So we really took the angle of um, war is not green and pushing divestment from weapons um, by really emphasizing the environmental component component of it. Um, so it was a great starting point to know that we had the support of the mayor and that the local government might be sympathetic. And uh, because I live in San Luis Obispo, I took the initiative to start organizing uh, the divestment campaign and reaching out to different local organizations that I thought might be interested in organizing with me for, for divestment. So um, I wanted to start by building, by building um, as much community support as possible uh, so that our mayor and the rest of city government would know that uh, divesting from the war machine was something that the public wanted to see. So first I started looking for passionate community members who might be interested in organizing. And of course we're in a pandemic, so all of the outreach was virtual. And uh, I compiled, I guess I started by uh, compiling a list of all of the progressive organizations I knew of in the city and I emailed all of them individually to kind of gauge their interest levels a few different organizations expressed support. So I tried focusing on uh, building supportive relationships with various local activists who wanted to organize around the issue. And I think that having a solid tight knit support network was um, really essential to the organizing. So I made sure to keep in touch with all of the supporters and also to, to virtually support their organization's goals as well in order to kind of build mutual trust. Right. And um, the pandemic, I don't think really like deterred organizing in this sense because um, regardless of the pandemic, so much organizing happens online these days and social media really plays a pivotal role in raising public consciousness and, and generating support. So I rallied a lot of virtual support on social media. Um, I drafted a letter of support actually to circulate throughout the community so that uh, the supportive organizations could sign onto it and voice their support for the divestment initiative. And um, I also encouraged these organizations to spread the word within their networks and on their social medias as well. Right. Yeah. Right. Great. I mean, I think all of those tactics, right, are, as you said, right, really useful regardless of um, whether or not we're going through a, a historic pandemic, right? But I think something that you emphasize that's really important is that, you know, the fact that we have to physically distance, 
doesn't mean that we can't continue these kind of organizing efforts. And you're right, social media and online communication helps has actually allowed the facilitation of some maybe some um, connections that might not have otherwise been plausible, right? Um, so that's a really important point to make, which is that even though we are physically distancing, we continue our organizing um, despite that. And also sometimes it has worked in, in our favor, right? So I guess I wanted to ask you next, right? Based on that, um, how did you facilitate communication between com community members and officials, right? Um, again, we are physically distancing. So what were some of the tools you were able to use to make political engagement accessible to the public? Yeah, that's a really good point because um, I guess traditionally we would have had the opportunity to, you know, like show up at city council meetings in person with signs and, um, but now it, it was all virtual. So um, I guess, well, first of all, it's important to note that um, it's essential to prove to uh, community to prove to uh, local officials that there's a large amount of community pressure behind the campaign. Um, so it was really important to have community members personally com communicating with local government. And of course, that can sometimes be intimidating. And people sometimes aren't really sure where to start. So uh, I tried my best to find a way to make this kind of political engagement accessible to the public. And um, after finding a few committed local activists, um, I first started by encouraging them to reach out to the mayor uh, for more information about how the city planned to implement a divestment initiative. And um, having community members uh, corresponding personally with the mayor was pretty instrumental in the campaign because we were able to find out key dates for when uh, the city council would be meeting to discuss divestment. And um, having this kind of ongoing line of communication was also important because um, it can help keep elected officials transparent with the public. Um, so after establishing a contact with the mayor and local government, um, then we tried to bring the divestment conversation into the larger community by uh, carving out opportunities for political engagement online that we could uh, spread uh, on social media. So first of all, uh, we confirmed the dates for the city council meetings, and then we learned that we actually had the opportunity to submit public comments at each meeting. So then in order to prove that we had a lot of widespread community support, we set up this kind of like quick and easy online tool that allows uh, community members to submit public comments via email through this website called One Click Politics. So uh, we encourage people also to, um, to voice their support uh, during live city council meetings that we had virtual access to. So uh, yeah, we just uh, spread the word on social media, asked people to um, send in emails with their public comments, and then also created opportunities for people to phone in and leave voice messages and also attend the actual 
virtual meetings. Right, right. And that's, I think that's a great kind of summary of a lot of the, the ways and tools that you use to really make sure that local community members who were definitely on board with the divestment campaign could actually um, engage with their local officials. And I think, you know, a point that you made that I think is worth emphasizing is this idea that, um, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes if you talk about a divestment campaign, you start talking about city budgets and investments, it can feel maybe overwhelming for people. But I think this is a really great um, case to illustrate that actually, if you outreach to your local city officials, if you start that line of communication with them, and you um, are active and, and responsive with them, you know, they're actually there to support um, the community, right? And they are actually there to provide this kind of information because at the end of the day, right, it's the community that keeps them in office. It's the community that should keep them accountable. And having that line of communication is really key in these kinds of campaigns, right? So encouraging communication with our local officials is a key step in the divestment campaign and can um, really help, uh, you know, gather information like key city council dates, like how the process works very easily. Um, so it's actually not that intimidating of a process once you start that line of communication with your local officials, right? So that's that's a really great example. Thank you, Kelsey. Um, so, I mean, you know, obviously you, you use all of these tools to do outreach to local officials. You spread the word on social media. One thing I also wanted to, to ask about is how did local media respond, right? How, after spreading the word, did local media pick up on this, or how did social media play a significant role in the success of this campaign? Yeah, well, um, we actually did end up gaining the attention of local media, and like you said, it was actually largely because of how active we were on social media. So um, by telling our own story and receiving a substantial amount of support on social media, we were able to shape the divestment campaign narrative for ourselves. And then um, a local news reporter actually ended up reaching out to us. So uh, I think that the local news coverage was really helpful in legitimizing the campaign in the public eye. And it can also be really helpful in spreading community awareness um, but yeah, uh, social media really plays a, piv a pivotal role because through social media, you're kind of able to be the media and create your own story. And then it's really uh, common for local media to pick up on issues that are getting popular on social media and then want to cover it for themselves. So Getting uh, local media coverage was really helpful. And then thanks to the support of all of the passionate community members, uh, San Luis Obispo City Council ended up voting 5-0 to divest from the war machine. And uh, I think it was really essential that we had gained so much support through social media and news coverage and public comments because it prove to the city council that the local constituents cared and would make sure that they delivered. And then also by publicizing the issue so much on social media and getting local news coverage, we were also able to 
shape the campaign narrative and hone in on what we wanted the new investment policy to target. And then um, lastly, I guess after the divestment vote, um, we also made sure to use our social media platform to announce to the public that Slow had plans to divest for more because it, we knew that it would help hold the city account, accountable after the fact. Yeah, I think those are all really great points, right? So first of all, congratulations on that wonderful win and vote. Um, it's, it's the result of, you know, a really grassroots effort in slow and it's really exciting that that happened. Um, but something that you mentioned too is after, even after city council voted five to zero, um, you knew that, you know, the, the campaign itself wasn't over, right? So, so announcing on social media, also doing direct outreach and thanking um, the mayor and city council members for their historic vote. And those are all really important, right? And to me, it's important to show community members who are involved on, on a grassroots level that their voice and their efforts really, really made a difference. Um, so with that momentum, Kelsey, are, are you, do you have any plans in the local slow area to keep it going? I mean, um, city, the city budget is one thing, but I know you mentioned at the top that you started organizing with Code Pink um, a divest campaign at, at um, Cal Poly Slow. So are there any plans to use this momentum moving forward in San Luis Obispo? Yeah, um, I'm really glad you asked that because, uh, yeah, like I said before, I got um, involved with divestment organizing while I was attending uh, Cal Poly, which is the local university in San Luis Obispo. And Cal Poly has a lot of ties to weapons manufacturers and the war machine and um, and a lot of other universities do as well. So um, universities invest their endowments in a variety of companies uh, to just increase the total amount of money in their endowments. And a, a lot of the time, like city budgets as well, uh, these uh, universities and cities, they'll invest in weapons manufacturers and fossil fuels. Um, just because these have been so profitable in the past. So um, it's really essential to use the momentum if you of one divestment win and look for other uh, opportunities nearby that um, you can kind of continue uh, pushing for. So I yeah, I think it's completely appropriate to use this citywide win it in slow to keep pushing for divestment at Cal Poly, the local university, um, because Cal Poly is still very heavily invested in weapons manufacturers. But also um, beyond just San Luis Obispo, um, divestment on a city level like this can totally create a ripple effect um, with other nearby cities and cities across the country and um, universities as well. So. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's a really great um, place to end this. Um, I think, you know, to me, what happened in Slow is, is very inspiring. And the fact that um, you'll be using this momentum to create a campaign um, that's more holistic, that includes the local university, right? Um, 
and the entire community that makes up slow. I think that's a really great model to for us to um, use moving forward. And with that, I want to thank you, Kelsey, for joining us today and talking through um, this historic win where the San Luis Obispo City Council divested from the war machine. So thank you so much, Kelsey, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon because of all the great work that you're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on the show today, Carly. <laughs> thank you. All right. Um, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. We're now going to take a short musical break with Kimya Dawson's Utopian Futures, a song I hope listeners will listen to and feel a little more hopeful despite what's going on in the world. Again, this is Kimya Dawson's Utopian Futures. Somewhere the bombing all has stopped and people begin to sit and talk and somewhere insomniatic stockbrokers can rest their bloodshot eyes Cause there's nothing left to buy or sell or kill or die for anymore We're living inside eternal moments that we've searched for all our lives There's nobody living by the clock and every door is left unlocked Cause property died all alone and capitalism lost its home There's plenty of fresh air here in town And plants are all growing on the cars And all of the streets are used for dancing And at night you see all the stars Yada da da dee yada da 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 Yada da 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 Yada da da dee Searching for something that was lost And centuries all have covered up We're flailing to find the smallest fragments Of our liberated lives And every tiny piece we find We pick up and glue together Collectively working for our utopian Futures to collide In snuggly beds and midnight talks and wandering bike rides and wayward walks Making up all of our own music, art, myth, food, and news That was Kimia Dawson's Utopian Futures and this is Carly Town with Code Pink Radio presented by WBAI Radio 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 Washington, D.C. Now, Code Pink co-founder Jody Evans will interview Amy Domini of Domini Funds to discuss how philanthropic and investment foundations can choose to divest from weapons and war. So here we are with, um, you know, one of the, the godmothers of investing in a better world, I say. Um, when we first started to think about launching a campaign to divest from weapons, I called Amy um, because this is something she did, I don't know, 40 years ago, Amy? Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm afraid so. <laughs> <laughs> so she knew something that we want everyone else to know. Um, at the time we started talking, we 
totaled $60 billion under assets, assets under management that had divested from Western. But Amy, I want you to know today we're at $550 billion. Incredible. Just um, incredible. Congratulations. That's the work of Code Pinkers locally um, around the country. Yeah. And um, we've also been able to help pinpoint problems in funds and get them to drop those products and get A's on our weapon-free fund sites. But I'm ahead of myself. We'll get there later. <laughs> so um, I wanted to you know, first say that um, maybe talk a little bit about who, you know, why are you so smart and 40 years ago able to do this? And you know, maybe your view of the world of you know, what, what moved you to be so smart 40 years ago? Well, that is smart. It's, that's a, I'll, I'll shy away from that one. Okay. I'll, I'll just say, it, so my entire kind of life's work is, is based on the fact that there is an ethical implication to the investments you make. And that uh, kind of, if you think in terms of the whole financial system, what, what are you enabling and not enabling? And um, many of those enabling aspects are, are softer, more difficult to identify and clarify and something like uh, human rights abuse, you know, three, four steps away. Weapons are very clear by comparison. And, and even in uh, the roughly 1985 through 87, when I was trying to create this index of our own for people like me who believed that there was an ethical implication to the investments we made. Uh, that was a starting place that was already somewhat established. A few religious organizations, the Quakers, uh, it, did not invest in, in weapons. But more importantly, it was pretty close to the Vietnam War. And there was a very vibrant uh, community of people that felt strongly they did not want to be part of the military-industrial complex. And they did not want to see capitalism used to provide weapons, and they didn't want to participate in that. So that the weapons standard was, was initial, was immediate, and was easy for us to put into place in that um, there wasn't a lot of controversy <laughs> over what a weapon was. That has shifted. Now I think a big uh, challenge is uh, defining what it is we want to avoid when we want to avoid weapons. That's true. You brought up in our, about our, our U.S. stock fund, but it's also true in our bond fund. We have challenges over weapons in the bond fund, too, and those lead to some rather surprising conversations. Uh, and then we have, uh, of course, an international fund that has still another layer of complications as regards what's a weapon, so, because so many social um, networks are used to weaponize controversy. But let's go back to what we really want to teach today, which is, okay, so then why are people so here we have people that are peace activists and you know we we're one of our projects is the trident fund um they're a lutheran fund and so you talked about you know the quakers being ahead of you know being who were already there but why are people almost unknowingly 
invested in weapons because some people you can come and say wow that's a weapon and right away we can get them to shift their their portfolio but first there's like why and then why is it so hard to move people from where their money is to something better what if, what have you run into oh two right to the point issues there uh the the as to um I think they both sort of have the same answer in that there's a, a truth on Wall Street, which uh, is taught in schools and is widely accepted out there. And those kinds of truths are things like whatever limits your investment universe will limit your return. Well, you know, any individual going out to interview an investment advisor, that inv advisor has a system. And any system, because it's a system, limits your universe. And yet every one of those investment advisors claims that their way of limiting the universe enhances your return. Somehow this is an argument that has taken hold on investors of conscience. They, it's used in that one area and not in any other area. Uh, this is something that was really behind trying to create an index of our own. And um, there have been, you know, just several hundred by this point studies, not only on my index, but on various indexes around the globe. And all of these studies have found there is not a financial give up. This concept that anything that limits your universe, limits your return is wrong. And we had it vividly proven to us during the 2008-9 crisis, and even so, it persists out there. So that's a challenge. The way to overcome it is with facts to show actually that these, then there's study, you just Google it and you'll find a dozen studies out there on the internet or dogpile it, if that's your truth. And um, you will find that kind of information. Another challenge that I have found is, um, when it comes to weapons, there's a, a certain population that is concerned about patriotism. And um, my argument to that population has been, if indeed weapons need to exist, do they need to be distributed through a mechanism that is created in order to provide goods and services as cheaply and broadly as possible. That's capitalism. There are other mechanisms of creating products and distributing them. Our public school education is a different product that is created and distributed that does not have uh, the goal of being as cheap as possible and as broadly distributed as possible. Well, Amy, basically what you're saying is something we believe at Code Pink, which is how can, first of all, war be for profit? That's like for starters. Like if you have war for profit, which is basically the weapons industry, then you will have more and more and more war. And especially when it's for profit in a place that has no oversight, no, you know, there's, there's not a boss of the weapons industry. There is right. only, <laughs> there's only this game of feeding Congress people more money so you can get more money. And it's the return on investment to the money that you get out of Congress and what you have to invest to get it is staggering. 
um, staggeringly cheap. And then the um, amount of money that grows every year um, for weapons manufacturing. I mean, you know, I try to explain to people, you pay your taxes, 65% of it goes to um, the military, half of that goes to weapons companies, the return, a 40% return on investment to investors, which basically means your tax dollars are going to make the rich richer and destroy the world you live in two ways, not just because, you know, destroy the world with weapons. There are whole places in the world that cannot be gone to anymore because of nuclear testing, but there's whole, you know, there's the Middle East that's basically been destroyed by weapons. And, but you know, um, one of the things that you didn't say is like, when do people think about the return on investment of a more beautiful, peaceful world? Like, isn't totally. that honest? <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and it, it, you know, I actually had an undergraduate degree in economics. And, and when I was studying, you know, I was taught that there was such a thing as uh, the multiplier effect when you sell something and and it generates more sales and more sales. So if you, uh, the classic example was if I purchase a car, I'm going to gas it up. I'm going to take, get new tires. I'm going to have the oil changed. Remember, I went to school a long time ago, <laughs> not my car today, but <laughs> back then. And, uh, that would multiply into, and at that time, the wisdom was it was $6 in the economy for every dollar you spent on a car. And the other example was weapon. For every dollar you spent on a weapon, it was $0 <laughs> in the economy because the weapon just sits on a shelf, in theory, and doesn't provide any kind of ongoing economic benefit. So in spite of this fact that it was taught to me in school that this was the perfect example of a worthless product, you know, that, that again is another wisdom that hasn't seeped through to everything. But you're absolutely right. What is the cause? My father was a very unusual man. And he, at one point, I think he was feeling old. He said, Amy, never believe the lie. You like it, you pay for it. Some things are meant to be free. The smile a beautiful woman gives you. <laughs> so, and a sunset. Well, you know, I've thought about that since. A sunset costs money. We know the price that that will give you in a piece of real estate. We know the value of an unobstructed view, a partially obstructed view, a certain seasonal view of the sunset exactly in real estate. We have methods in terms of healthcare to determine pain and we have pricing for how quickly you walk, how quickly you come to a smile, for how we alleviate pain. There are ways to create a means of tracking the value of kindness, no pain, beautiful sunsets, perhaps the smile on a beautiful woman's face. And we choose not to monetize those. I'm not even sure I would argue we should monetize those, but we have in some instances. And here uh, we could do a whole lot more to show the cost, the true cost mm -hmm. of, of weapons mm -hmm. and the true benefit. It's also tough. You bring up the nuclear 
and and nuclear is a is exactly the region I was talking about before in the bond area. But most um, bond funds and bond investors, um, the index is treasuries, largely treasuries. You just pointed out why uh, my bond fund doesn't invest in treasuries, and uh, it is a very unusual position to take. You know, most people kind of give the government a pass on it. We go so far as to not invest in the University of California taxable municipal bonds. Why? Because every nuclear project ever undertaken has been contracted through University of California system. And they don't designate this one won't be used for nuclear weapons development. So, so we avoid the whole thing. It's a complex area. Now we're struggling with weapons definitions. Uh, we're getting into facial recognition, getting into cybersecurity issues. It's getting more and more, uh, and it's really what I think about in the middle of the night is how terrifying it is. Yeah, so I really, that's fascinating about, um, and we haven't done that in, in Divest from Weapons, but when you think about not only no value, but what a weapon does to the world, not only doesn't have any value, it has such a negative value. Right. And even as you look at the weapons jobs, that you know what we need is to get off of fossil fuels, which is what we use the weapons to fight for, and, right. um, and actually create a world to save ourselves from climate change of you know new alternative um, energy systems you could take the money that we invest in weapons and create a healthy world um, and really basically not only does it have no value but it has an extreme negative value on the planet on people on i mean you know just to live in a world of weapons think about when we used to have to get under our desks when we were in yeah. uh, <laughs> elementary school <laughs> yeah. um, and kind of how traumatizing that was and now you know I think young people look out if you look out at a uh, a new cold war with China and the United States it's quite frightening and no first use with the United States well so um, is there anything you could tell our activists about how to be more effective in getting funds to change um, because we really, you know, our goal is to um, move that yeah. number yeah. to a trillion. And um, what are what are some of the ways that funds listen? Yeah, yeah well, definitely communication does uh, work. It, you know, when we get a, even an email or a phone call from somebody who wants to know whether or not we own this stock and why, uh, we pivot to it, but it also influences our our way of looking at at this stock. That's some things are are very difficult. You have, uh, as I mentioned earlier, facial recognition. Is it a weapon? You know, the more we hear from the public about whether or not it's a weapon, uh, the the more we will have, a, and the more academic work that's done on whether or not it's a weapon, or NGO work that's done on whether or not it's a weapon. The NGO world is very influential to us. Uh, another component uh, is the activism. Um, we have found, of course, because we don't buy weapons, we don't have a direct 
ownership in a weapons company, but we found a lot of opportunity there to join with NGOs in creating a dialogue um, that's relevant to it. So as a, for example, the, you know, kind of terrible uh, situation that happened in New Zealand with the mass killing there was uh, additionally horrific in that it was filmed and distributed live. Uh, and, and that allowed us to have conversations with the social media companies about you know, this kind of anything goes attitude that they've had about what they allow put up on, on the videos and, and to have conversations with them about the fact that even it had in some ways been advertised ahead of time. And, you know, what what uh, role did they have in spreading the word that made it so important for the gunman to go in there and, and do this? So this activism aspect of it, you did not mention, but of course, these CEOs that came out and stated that they wanted to see better gun laws in, in America. Uh, related area, you know, it's again trying to reduce your... your uh, ease of passing these. I mean, some of these are developed as military weapons and they're in the hands of ordinary citizens. Uh, that uh, CEO letter offered us an opportunity to go to those that didn't sign, especially the credit card companies, because they make it possible to buy the weapons. Mm -hmm. Say, so, look, you know, you didn't sign this. Are you doing anything to make it harder to buy guns? Well, that's a great thing. Okay, so we, we, you've empowered our activists to, to call up these funds and say, get, get your F to an A because you're destroying the world and you're making it unsafe for us, especially our young activists out of universities. So that's great. And then, um, good, we'll work on a, a letter from those that could be influential. Um, yeah, in yeah. They, can write, they can write to either the corporate side or the fund side. And those things do have weight. They have more weight than you'd expect. <laughs> thank you. Well, Amy, I thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for being a leader. Thank you for being there when we wanted to start taking on the money, because if you don't take on finance, you, get, you know, that's a, that's a lever running the United States instead of, we look at voting, but the levers of finance are way more powerful um, these way. days. Yes. Well, deep love and gratitude and thanks for working for peace in the world with all you do. And thanks to you, Judy, for everything you do. It's great. Right. This is Carly and you're listening to Code Pink Radio presented by WBAI Radio 99.0 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 Washington, D.C. I want to thank everyone for joining Code Pink Radio today. And for a great conversation with Code Pink organizer Kelsey Zazanis about her recent victory divesting San Luis Obispo from the war machine. And for the conversation which Code Pink co-founder Jody Evans had with Amy Dominey from Dominey Investments about how philanthropic and investment foundations can choose to divest from weapons and the war economy. We talked about a lot of different ways people can get engaged with Code Pink this week but I wanted to highlight some important ways you can continue to take action even after the show. My conversation with Kelsey reminded us of important strategies and tactics we can use to organize our communities against the war machine.
Importantly, we discussed a critical strategy of divestment during the pandemic to utilize social media and online activism to spread social solidarity despite remaining physically distanced. We have the necessary tools and resources at Code Pink to help you start a campaign in your own community, including a divestment pledge you can take to your own mayor, a sample city council resolution, and critically, organizers who can help garner community support and support your own efforts in your own community. You can go to codepink.org divest to learn more, or you can email divest at codepink.org and an organizer will be in touch. Our conversation with Amy Domini reminded us that socially responsible investing isn't just a pie in the sky dream. It's something that's not only possible, but necessary. One great reminder that Amy Domini left us with is that in her own words, right, communication works. We often underestimate the power of communicating with institutions in our community, right, including philanthropic organizations and investment funds, because really they will listen to their customers and community members. A single person reaching out is a good start. Imagine the difference you could make if you organized a group of people in your community to communicate directly with that institution. In fact, Code Peak is organizing around just this issue, asking Thrive and Financial, which is a Lutheran investment firm, to live up to their values and divest from weapons of war. You can take action at www.codepink.org slash Thrivent. And the good news is that if you were inspired by Amy's conversation and want to divest yourself, we've taken all of the hard work out of the process. All you have to do is go to codepink.org slash divest and under resources, go to search for funds by name. You'll get to see the current grade of your fund based on what they're invested in. And you'll be able to see available funds which are not invested in war. So for example, if your fund is invested in weapons of war, they'll receive an F. However, if they're clean, socially responsible fund, they'll receive an A rating. So let us know if you do want to pledge to divest from the war machine, so your name can join one of thousands who have pledged to divest from the war machine. And if you have any questions, you can always reach out to divest at codepink.org to get in touch about resources and support we can offer you. So that about wraps up our program for today. Again, this is Carly with Code Pink Radio, presented by WBAI Radio 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 Washington, D.C. Until next time, peace. You think they're foes, they're in business together Danny Bush knows the Carlisle Group Since years before, been raking in billions And itching for more It's blood for oil, we know there's a link They say code war, we say code pink It's blood for oil, we know